President of the survivor powered, Maine based nonprofit group Finding Our Voices, which is at findingourvoices.net. And this is Let's Talk About It Conversations with Survivors of Domestic Abuse on WERU FM, second Friday of every month at 4 p.m. My guest today is Amy Burns. She broke her silence about abuse by calling a reporter from the Portland Press Herald leading to an April 20th newspaper article headlined, A State Trooper Hit His Wife. The Maine State Police Sent Him to Rehab. This article, part of an investigative series by that paper and the Bangor Daily News, on how the Maine State Police conceal officer wrongdoing, got a lot of attention. Ten days after that article was published, Amy emailed a letter to every legislative representative in the state. 151, including those from her own district of Androscoggin County. This is how her letter starts. 364 days in jail, all suspended. Two years probation, $20 to the Victim Compensation Fund. This sentence is the highest, most punitive that the courts in the state of Maine are now able to give for first offenses of domestic violence. Amy pointed out that in Maine, domestic violence is a Class D misdemeanor, while stealing something worth more than $1,000 is a Class C and carries the possibility of five years in jail, as opposed to the one year for domestic violence. Hence, in Maine, it is a more serious crime to steal a TV set or a couch than to beat up your wife or girlfriend. Amy wrote, I am brought to tears when I think about the number of victims, survivors, who have been in the same seat that I was in, hoping for some sort of true justice, only to find out that after their abusers complete these meager sentences, they will be able to continue their lives as if this never happened, while the survivors are left to suffer the extreme mental, emotional, and physical effects for many more years, in many cases, forever. Amy ended her letter to legislators this way. I am writing to you today to ask, even to beg, for tougher laws to protect domestic violence survivors. Of the 151 legislators that Amy emailed this letter to all over Maine, five responded. Five out of 151. One, a man, said They had already passed some kind of DV legislation that had nothing to do with the tougher laws that Amy was proposing. Two other legislators acknowledged receiving the letter. One woman put her in touch with me. So here we are. Welcome, Amy. So Amy, it's good to have you here. Okay, let's start kind of at the beginning. Okay. Um, I met Jay. Um, he was a state trooper who was, um, I was going through an organization called Embrace a Vet, and they help um, veterans with PTSD and traumatic brain injuries train service dogs for free. Um, and I was in a class, he was one of the trainers. Um, and after the class was over, we didn't have any contact or anything for about a year. 
And then uh, I looked him up on Facebook and he was single. I thought he was really cute. And I thought that he was uh, a really good person for, for volunteering to help veterans and, you know, spending his time. Um, I found out later they got paid really well for it. Oh. Um, it wasn't really a volunteer thing. Um, but uh, we connected. Um, we went out on a date. I thought he was the best thing in the world. Um, I thought that um, I had been in, in bad situations before, and I thought that he could, because uh, I'm 100% disabled with PTSD uh, from the Air Force, and I thought that he would be strong, you know, and he would um, help me. You know, he said I could lean on him, and he would always protect me, and he'd always be there for me, and he'd always fight for me. And, um, and you know, I thought he was uh, a solid, solid man. Did it proceed quickly? Oh yes, yep. Um, we our first date was in August, and we got married on February fifteenth. And was it who was pushing it forward so quickly? He was. In what way? Um, he just uh, he just really wanted to get married. What did you think about the fact that it was moving so quickly? Well, I was like head over heels for this man, and and I was like, well, you know, I'm lucky to have somebody like this, and you know. Uh, this is just going to be happily ever after for me. How old um, were you? I was um, 55. Like maybe it might be my last chance because, um, yeah, because you're getting a little bit older and um, the dating pool is pretty shallow. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, you know, to find such a wonderful guy, you know, um, He's 10 years younger than me, oh. and I was very flattered that somebody 10 years younger than me would be so interested in me and um, just so crazy in love. And, you know, he used to text me all the time and call me all the time and, um, oh, I miss you so much. And Was he romantic? He was. In the beginning? Like, he do you was. remember some kind of things that he would do, that romantic things? Or? Um, just little things, like uh, he would take me to the beach and, you know, just walk with me under the stars and... Um, send me flowers and um, do things like even silly things like hold my hand when we're walking down the street you know things like teenagers do were there early red flags looking back uh, looking back I should have my, my son um, picked up on a few things before I did um, he was 22 at the time and he did try to to tell me a few things but I was I wasn't hearing it um, what did he pick up on well, he's the one, he's, he's, he kept telling me that I should contact people in Jay's past. Oh. Um, he, he found, um, and he didn't tell me till after, but he had found like empty bottles of vodka or half full bottles of vodka in the basement. And then he would see that they were empty, um, and Ooh. knew that he was drinking. I thought he was a real lightweight because I would see him drink like two beers and he'd be drunk. Oh, you didn't know he'd been drinking. And I didn't know that. he would sneak down and um, wow. sneak down in the basement and drink hard alcohol. So, so your son was on to that. He was on to that. He didn't tell you till later. No. But what did what did he tell you when you were to, in the beginning? Did he did he mention things to you that he was concerned about? Um, nothing directly. He he just said, you know, you you might want to be careful. You might want to take your time. Um, he was, he was more adult than I, I guess. That's funny. Cause when I, after my marriage, when I met this guy and fell head over heels with him in love with him and he ended up being abusive in that he was just not emotionally available and mm -hmm. he was a narcissist and all that stuff. But my son said the same thing, my, who was in his early twenties at the time. He's like, 
you should take it slower. I had come just come off a very abusive marriage, so you think that I would have, my eyes would have been open more, and you said that you too had yeah. had bad experiences. So what do you think about the fact that you had had bad experiences, but you were still going headlong into it? Um, I mean, the, the, the bad experience I had before was about six years long, and he would say things like, who else, who, you know, nobody would love you because you're old, you're ugly, you're fat, you're blah, 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 nobody would want you. And then, so I was, my self-esteem was rock bottom. And then when somebody else comes along and says, oh my God, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And he would uh, put music on at night and, and dance with me and like sing to me. He can't sing very well. But, you know, all, all these like romantic things and just made me feel like I thought I should have felt my whole life. You know, um, would you say the phrase swept me off my feet would be? Yeah. 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 So you, with marriage, you started talking about marriage and that all that was still good. Everything was still good. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was good. Um, it actually, everything started going downhill, um, right after we got married. What was and the marriage like? Was the, the wedding okay? Any, any red flags there? <laughs> well, my best friend pulled him aside and said, if you hurt her, I'm going to be after you. <laughs> and um, he got really mad, really mad about that. He got mad. He said, like, I don't want you to talk to her, which is a very controlling thing as well. Um, he actually talked me into quitting my job. I made pretty good money. Um, he didn't want me to work anymore. All of my friends were at the workplace. So before the marriage, he was supportive of your job? Yep. Yeah, he was, he was, you know, really good. He would, uh, every now and then he'd like maybe a lunch or, um, you know, come surprise me at work with, with lunch or candy or um, call me, text me, making sure I was all right. Um, but then when we got married, um, I bought my wedding ring because he couldn't afford it. Oh, let's talk about the financial thing. Okay. Was there any, what was the financial situation like before you met, married? I was, I was doing well. I had a beautiful uh, Victorian house. It was built by a shipbuilder in Bath, um, 1900. It was a beautiful house. You owned um, it? Owned I owned it? it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Turrets, been an architectural digest. It's oh, a beautiful wow. house. Um, but he convinced me that I should sell that house. Um, cause you know, we, we should be together, blah, blah, blah. He had a little teeny tiny house in Lisbon Falls that he had just bought. Um, so I moved from this beautiful house. Oh. Um, I made no money on it. I'd only lived there for a couple of years. Oh. Um, and you loved it. And I loved it. And at my job, I was, you know, I was making good money at my job. And as a state trooper, they don't make very much. Oh, is that right? And plus he was... He had to pay child support for his son from his previous marriage and all kinds of things. So he, he was bringing home maybe 2600 a month. And how much were you making? Um, I was bringing home about 6000 And did you talk about finances before you got married, the division of it and everything? No, no. Um, he, he, made, he had a $1,000 mortgage on that house that he had just bought. He paid $575 a month for his truck, his brand-new truck. He paid almost $289 a month for a side-by-side. And then, you know, food and electricity and everything that goes along with the house. Um, so he had no money. And so and, was that a problem when you were dating? No, I never knew anything about it. Oh, when you were dating, you, he seemed, you didn't seem to have money problems? No, no. But I found out when he bought the house, he had taken 
maybe seven or eight thousand dollars or something out of his retirement fund or something. So he had money at that time. You know, oh. we'd go out to nice restaurants and all kinds of things, and he'd pay. I didn't think there was any kind of a problem. That's one of the factors that I think pushed the marriage so quickly, because he wanted my money. Really, you know, I ended up paying the truck. Um, truck fees, the house we bought together, I paid every penny of that mortgage. He's He never paid a penny of the mortgage, the insurance. Oh, my goodness. Um, so he just nothing. freeloaded off you. Yeah. yeah. So, so you did a lot worse financially by marrying him. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, my uh, income cut almost in half. Wow. Um, and then, you know, $1,800 a month for a mortgage. You know, <laughs> it doesn't leave me very much of my own money. Well, how did you feel about laying all this money out? Um... Towards the end of the relationship, it really upset me. Uh, for a while, um, I was thinking, well, you know, this is what you do when you're married. You know, you take care of each other. Did, did, um, you, did it sound like he was going to do better, like like it was going to reverse? Or <laughs> No. Well, he would, he would tell me, you know, when the summer comes, I can make... And he did make a little bit more money in the summer because they can do overtime with different shifts and stuff. And so, you know, in the summertime, I'm going to make so much money and I can, I can do, you know take up more of the the load financially and and you know we'll be doing better um but he didn't really do that much over time so talk about the 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 problems that started to develop at once you were married right when we got married when I bought my ring I used my my mother had given me an engagement ring and I used that for an engagement ring because he didn't buy me one and then I bought my own wedding band and I took it into the jewelers to get the wedding the to get the wedding band. It had to be sized, and I was getting them welded together. And they called me and said, "Your ring is done." And he came with me to pick up this this ring, and it wasn't ready. And he just exploded on these people. You were surprised at his reaction. Oh, absolutely. He was just like give us our money back and we'll never come here again and we're going to tell everybody what rotten service oh you give. And she must have embarrassed too. Oh, it was, ter- it was terrible. It, he, he did that to me a lot. About two weeks after we got married, my son had lived with me. He came to move up. He moved up, uh, moved from Colorado to Maine to be with me to go to college. Um, and the first two semesters he, he was here, he stayed in the dorm. Um, he never did anything. He played on his computer all the time. He's a gamer and, like, never leaves his room, you know. He does now. He's in he's an uh, academy to actually be a sheriff. Um, but uh, Jay just started screaming about how horrible my son was. And, you know, he, you know, he made a mess in the bathroom. And he, he was screaming so bad. I tried to lock myself, close myself into the bedroom. And it. Kept getting, it was so bad, it kept going on and on and on. I mean, the bedroom was right next to the living room. Um, then I actually left the house in tears. I was driving down the street, and I called his parents. I told them what was going on. They're like, oh, Amy, I'm so sorry. You know, uh, I can't believe he's acting like this. They knew. <laughs> they knew because he'd done it before. It turns out that he knew how much my son meant to me, of course. And that's the main tool that he used against me. Really? When he would scream at me for eight hours, eight hours straight, go to bed, get up at 7.30, start drinking oh again and gosh. do the whole thing again. Um, it was always about my son. And he's like, you just sprang him on me. You know, you just dropped this kid on me. And I'm like, he was living with me for two years before. He sold his house and we bought a house together. 
and um, almost immediately, it, that was probably, I was about six or seven months after we got married. That's when everything went, went really downhill quickly. Um, when I stood, when I spoke to his uh, uh, lieutenant in the state police, he had done this before. They had sent him to um, rehab before, but he only stayed for like three or four days. But they said that's how he works. He spirals down, and then he kind of comes out of it. They told you that mm -hmm. at work? Yeah, they told they told me because I called and I said, "Please, I know you've sent him to rehab before. Can you send him to rehab again?" Because I still had the hope that if he could get over the alcohol problem, he could go back to the person that I thought he was at the beginning. How often does it, do, do these incidents start to happen? And do they get? Is it just getting worse? Oh yeah, he worked. He worked four days on, and he was off three days. That was his schedule. Um, it started um, not too long after we moved into our house. Um, the entire time from about 7.30 in the morning when he was off work until the night before he had to go back to work, he was drunk. Absolutely. 7.30 in the morning? Oh, yeah. He he would he would sneak out of the house at 7.30 in the morning. And he would go to a bar or something? What bars are open? No, he would go to um, the little, we had like, we have like two little general stores. And he would, he would go there and buy all this alcohol. And he was always so concerned that somebody, you know, in the area would know he's drinking. I said, we only have two stores in the area and you're there 730 in the morning buying fifths of booze. They know that you have a drinking problem. A couple of months before everything uh, went, came to a head, um, I was videotaping him. He was walking around the house just ranting and screaming. And I mean, just like he had schizophrenia or something. He was insane. And I was videoing him. And he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm videotaping you so I can show you tomorrow or the next time that you're sober how you act when you're drinking because you're, you're not a nice person. And he went nuts and deleted the video off my phone. And um, luckily, I actually made another video when he was hitting me and poking me and, and I kept telling him to stop and he didn't stop. He said, I can do whatever I want to you. Um, and you showed that in court? No, they dismissed that. Oh my god! They dismissed uh, the pointing the gun at me. Well, let's let's not we'll st we'll okay. let's get to there in a minute. Okay. So were you were you thinking that you were going to have to leave, or you were thinking that if you just stopped drinking, everything would be better? For a long, no, long time, maybe up until a couple of months before, maybe a month before everything came to a head, I still lived in hope because I had fallen so head over heels in love with this man. I wanted that man back. I wanted the life, the dream, you know, the dream of the life that I thought we were going to have together. But probably the last month, I realized nothing was going to change. I had offered <clears throat> several times, uh, um, I don't know if you know that much, but about alcoholics. But, you know, he was drunk and he would cry and he would say, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'd say, you know, I'll support you. I'll go to AA with you. I will, um, you know, go to a therapist with you. Um, I'll, you know, anything you need, take you to rehab. You know, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll fight for you, you know. Um, but then, you know, when he was sober, nothing had happened. You know, he. I don't know if he really didn't remember what he was doing or if he just said he didn't remember what he did. And that... Uh, he, the, the, when I was videotaping the last time when I could videotape, he went into the bathroom and he brought out the Rolaids, Pepto-Bismol, um, Tylenol, 
and tried to shove him at me, telling me that I had a drug problem. <laughs> I was like, that's scale back date. You know, it's not a drug problem. And um, then what's the physical thing that he would do? He, he, sometimes he would get physical? Yeah, the first time he got physical, um, he, he, he would start, a, start in again. I would escape. I would try to escape to the bedroom. And he would come in and he would continue. And the first thing he did, um, I was sitting up in bed. I was getting ready to leave the room. And he reached out and he grabbed my arm and he twisted. And that was the beginning of the idea in my head that it's going to get worse. Because that's how the abuse started, you know, the first time. He would, like, walk by and hit me with his hip. The first time? You mean the I mean, first the, the first relationship yeah. I had that was... That's um, how that started. Yeah. He, 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 he would, like, hit me with his hip. And it just kept getting worse and worse. The day before we were supposed to go on our belated honeymoon he went outside and was hollering and whatever and I was sitting in a chair right in front of the door and he came in through the door and just slammed his head down top of my head from behind me I didn't even know it was coming and I got up and left then and I started texting him like what what did you do that and he said um you moron he texted me back you moron I would never hit you out of anger. It was frustration. It was only frustration. Um, and that's the one thing they charged him with, was he admitted on that text that he had hit me. So he started calling you names, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was all kinds of names. Oh, yeah. so from the beginning where you were so beautiful and he couldn't yeah. say enough good things about you, that yeah. changed. Oh, no, I was never beautiful again. He started going to therapy, and the therapist wanted to see him three days a week, which is quite a bit. And then it went to two times a week and one time a week. I don't know if he if he lowered it down, but he'd been gone for maybe about six months. And finally I said, what does your therapist say about your drinking? You know, if you tell him you're drinking this much and he's not recommending a rehab or anything for you, um, he said, I haven't told him. It, the, the therapist was a retired cop and they would just sit there the whole time and swap cop stories back oh and forth. Oh my goodness. So there was no, he hadn't been on, you know, maybe if he had been honest with this guy, um, he may have gotten some help. Did you socialize much? No. Mm -mm. The only, we had, um, he has an old partner. Um, he's a detective now, but um, he and his girlfriend then became his wife later, uh, would come over and he would always be drunk. And the whole time they were there, he would talk about our sex life. In front of them? Mm-hmm. On purpose. And so, I, so what would that do to you? I would, I was mortified. I would, I would like try to talk over him, um, they came over maybe three times. They stopped coming over but because they knew what it was doing to me. And after the first time and after the second time, I'm like, he, you know, we're going to have, he's like, we're going to have someone over for dinner. Okay, but you are not to say one word about our sex life. When was he, when he saw your sex, sex life, was he putting it down or was he talking it up? Or what he, was, was he was talking details. Really? You know, exactly. Oh, my God. This happened and that happened. What? and um That is bizarre. Yeah. And what did they do? They just, like, they were like, uh, you know, wide-eyed and like, what do we do? And they, you know, left as, as soon as they could because they knew, they could see that I was suffering through, through that. But don't you think they should have been more direct and said you shouldn't be talking that way? Yeah. Yeah. But, um People don't know what to say, but don't you think yeah. that in cases like that, they should call the person out? Yeah, or at least, you know, call him when he's at work and sober and say, you know. But, you know, he he absolutely did a 180 when he was drinking. So he, he wouldn't have remembered anyway, you and know. And was he at work? Was they, were they happy enough with him, do you think? 
Oh no, I don't think anybody liked him. He never spoke to and uh, he never um, socialized with any of the troopers. Um, all of the people he talked to were like Freeport PD, Yarmouth PD. Um, none of the troopers were, were were close to him. And tell me about the way you said he was isolating you. So did he isolate you from your family and your friends? Yeah, yeah. Did your friends or family, were they concerned about you? Uh, my friends were. My friends were very concerned. Um, like what kind of things did they say? Well, they were, they, you know, they started saying, you know, you need to do something about this. You know, he's going to hurt you. And I'm like, oh, you know, he just screams and he does hit me every now and then. But, you know, things will get better when he gets help. And, um, and you, you know, sometimes you don't really want to admit you made such a horrible mistake. So you were walking eggshells too around Oh, the yeah. Time. Oh, yeah. Then I got put in the hospital. I was in the hospital. Uh, I was at Togus for like eight days and then they transferred me to Mass General. You're, you were in the hospital for, I had nothing to do with the domestic abuse, though. No, I had, um, oh, they figured out, I have asthma, and they said it was some kind of a virus in my lungs. So but, then it's come to the point where yeah. that leads up to the criminal activity. Yeah. When, well, there was criminal activity before, too, but. Yeah. yeah. When my son called me and said, some, he's acting very strangely, he's doing all these really weird things, like out of his mind things, you know, things you normal person wouldn't think about. Um, I texted him, or, or did I call him? I can't remember. But I'm like, you know, what, what are you, what are you doing? You know, what's going on? And, um, after that, he kept calling me and screaming and screaming and screaming. And one of the nurses came in, and I was in floods of tears. I was just crying, and she could hear him screaming over the phone. And that's when she, uh, they're mandated reporter, so they had to, you know, talked to the social worker and the social worker the next morning came to talk to me. But, um, he sent, like I said, he sent like 1100 texts. He would send me all the hundred texts in 24 hours. What is that? Like that's literally one after the other with no oh, pause yeah, in between. Yeah, yeah. And what were the texts? What were they saying? Um, call me every name in the book. Um, how much, you know, he, he wanted a divorce, blah, blah, blah. And then it wasn't working out. <laughs> But then um, did he did he add in some loving things to oh, yeah. it? Oh yeah. So it was back oh, yeah, and yeah, forth, yeah. everything it was, all over the bed. It was, oh, I was a horrible person, and how much he hated me, blah blah blah. And then he would send me a love song, and then he would, he was like, he doesn't know how to play guitar, but he had one, and he'd be like, dink, 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 and he's like singing all these love things to me, and then, then he'd say, you know, blah blah blah, in the same breath. Hello, you are listening to Let's Talk About It, conversations about domestic abuse with me, Patricia McLean, founder, president of Finding Our Voices at findingourvoices.net. My guest is Amy Burns, who lives in Androscoggin County and is talking about three years of being tormented by her state trooper husband and him as domestic abusers do all over Maine getting away with it. Let's return now to Amy. It got really bad after my son came up and he started threatening my son's life. And I told you about the AR-15. My son had it taken apart because uh, he'd been cleaning it. And he, the Jay called or texted, you know, he texted and he said, I want that. Um, I want to know where the bolt is. There's some kind of a bolt that goes in there. And then he said, he goes, um, he's got, he's got two hours to tell me where it is or I'm going to have him arrested for blah, blah, blah. And, um, then he texted me back and said, I found it. 
Well, when they came to confiscate his weapons after a week and a half, um, I said, here's his handguns, but I can't find the AR-15. I don't know where it is. So Anascoggin County Sheriff that works for the Domestic Violence Division actually had to contact his lawyer to contact him in rehab and ask where it was. It was wrapped in a sheet on the top shelf in the back of my closet. It was fully loaded, prepped to go with two extra clips in it. So he was not kidding. If my son had gone back into that house, he would have killed him. Um, my son didn't, like I said, nothing. All he did was leave. You know, he's like, oh, he's up there sitting his pampered butt, blah, blah, blah. And you're, you're spoiling him. And, you know, he, he, he's not a man. He couldn't take it. And yeah, but that, that's, that was the whole thing. And, and then when he, he started sending those texts to my son, I'm like, don't reply. He didn't reply. Did you think of blocking him on your phone? Um, well, um, oh, he would have lost his mind even more. Yeah. <laughs> Plus I needed him to keep talking because mm -hmm. every text he sent was deeper, deeper, um, deeper, deeper. What do you mean? He was getting himself, you know, he was, Oh God, right. he was getting himself, on tape. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I saved all of them. And, um, when I gave him to the news reporter, he's like, Oh my God. You know, I had a book, like a, a binder full of, uh, screenshots of all the texts. So um, then lead into the, what happened with the gun and everything to you? Because he put a gun to your head. Oh, he'd be in his uniform, and I'd be standing in the kitchen, and we had a counter in between us. He'd, he'd be standing on the other side, like where the dining room would be. Um, and he'd pull out his gun and, like, twirl it like Wild West and point it at me. And I'm like, ah! And I'd duck down. How often would he do this? He did it three times that I can really remember. Was it all toward the end or, or not, not even? Pretty much toward the end. Yeah. And this would be right after he would have been screaming at me the night before. Um, so, and then saying, you know, I know what I'm doing. You know, I could shoot you if I wanted to, but I don't want to. And I, but I could, um, I know what I'm doing. And so what's the first thing that goes through your mind? You know, he was hating me the night before. Um, and he could say he pulled his gun and I mean, police weapons don't have safeties. Oh. So he could say, you know, he was, practicing pulling his weapon or something and accidentally shot me in the head, you know, I, I don't know, you know, but these are the things that go through your mind, you know, you never, ever, ever point a gun, even if it's not loaded. Anybody that has ever done any kind of, everybody that's been a six-year-old knows you don't point a gun at anybody, but yeah, yeah. So he pointed a gun at you three times. Mm -hmm. And then what was the last incident that caused you to leave him? or get out of them or escape, or how did that happen? Um, all the stuff that happened in the hospital, and a social worker came in, and it was the first time I had spoken to somebody other than, like, my friends. Um, and sometimes, you know, you have to talk to somebody, and sometimes, sometimes it has to be somebody that's outside of your circle, you know, social worker, domestic violence person, something. And I was telling her the story and she's like, you know, every single thing she said, you know, this is abuse, right? You know, and you know, one of those times when he pulls that gun, it's going to be the last time um, he could pull. I mean, when he was, he was sending me the pictures of his gun saying he was going to kill my kid. Um, one day when he's drunk and in a rage like that, he could, you know, and that would be it. I mean, he's a cop. He, he used to track people through the woods. He can shoot from long distances. 
I mean, he wouldn't have to even have to be near me or Michael anytime we walked out of the house. And that's one of the things that, um, well, still bothers me to this day because he came back to me. Talking to her, you know, I realized, and she, that's when she told me, um, she, she told me about restraining orders. In Maine, it's called a protection from abuse order, but in Massachusetts, it's a restraining order. Um, when I had spoken the, um, the night before when everything was going on, I'd spoken to his sergeant for about two and a half, two, an hour and a half to two hours, something like that. And I told him everything was going on. that He was drunk. He had a gun that he was threatening this. The supervisor said, um, his sergeant, I mean, said, you know, uh, 42% of domestic violence of murders come from out of domestic violence. And if you don't feel safe, you should leave him and, and all this stuff. And, was that, that good, the stuff that he was telling you? He, w- he was telling me, yeah. I mean, it sounded like he was ready to help. I found out later that they never even sent, they never called him. They never sent a car around. I mean, normally if somebody said somebody's drunk and has a gun's waving it around, they would send somebody out. Um, he was never arrested. He was never handcuffed. He uh, didn't have bail. It was all his own recognizance. He turned himself in eventually, eventually, not right then. But then I had gotten a message. I turned my ringer off on my phone when I was talking to the social worker. And during that time, I'd gotten a message from his sergeant and said, can I call you? So I texted him. I mean, I called him. And um, when he picked up, I said, the first thing I said was, before you even say a word, I'm telling you right now that the foot, minute I step foot back in Maine, I'm filing a restraining order. And he's like, no, 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 no. We got him to go to rehab. You know, don't. You know why? You why don't really have... want you to do that because it looks bad on state police. He said, "No, no, don't file a restraining yeah. order." Okay, so then what happened? He said, "We found him a place in rehab." I said, "How soon can he be gone?" And they said, "Tomorrow. Uh, we'll have him out by like noon tomorrow." I said, "Well, you tell me when he's gone, and I'll leave here." I ended up having to take a bus home from Massachusetts, um, and then I, I got home. I, I shook and shook and shook for days and days. I mean, really shook. I didn't know, because he was, he was in rehab of his own free will, so he didn't have to stay. He could have left. Well, how about the fact that he waved a loaded gun in your face? Like, that's a crime, so why wasn't anybody talking about arresting him? Um, the only thing I can think of is a whole, instead of a thin blue line, it was thick. You know, it, they built a wall, they protect their own. That was part of the newspaper investigation, oh, okay. um, that these things had happened, but they didn't tell the public, and the public has a right to to know um, what the troopers are being disciplined for, um, because if you have somebody that's been um, beating his wife, you know, he probably shouldn't be out on patrol with a gun. Exactly. So um, tell me about how, uh, how did this come to the attention of the courts? Um, and, and also, did you tell him you were leaving him, or how did you decide to end the marriage? What happened there? Um... I didn't tell him, but he figured it out pretty soon. He was in rehab for 45 days the first time. And they had to send him, like, the PFA paperwork and everything. So he, he figured out then. But but they, they told you they didn't want you to do PFA, but you said, I'm going to do it anyway. I did it anyway. Yeah. Did Safe Voices help you to do it? They they did. They do have a, they do have a well, the lady that I was working with has retired. But they do have somebody that will go to court with you for the legal. And they have someone that will go to court with you um, for... What's one? One's legal and one's like support. Civil or something. Yeah. And did you get the PFA when you requested it? When I requested it, I got a temporary PFA. Then we went for the two-year PFA. 
that's when they were trying to talk me to let him have his gun back. And Who was trying to talk you into that? His lawyer. Um, his lawyer was provided by the uh, Troopers Union. Was it Walt McKee, I hope? Because he represents all these scoundrels. I can't, I can't remember. He, he, he's the union lawyer for the state police, which I couldn't believe they were paying for a lawyer for a guy that did this to his wife. Did you have a lawyer? I, I did not for a little bit. Um, I went to several lawyers um, for help with the PFA and help with the divorce. They, a couple refused me because they wouldn't go against nobody. No, I even called a couple of the shady defender and they won't go against the state police. State police, they said state police has millions and millions of dollars at their, at their, uh, at their fingertips. They said you'd never be able to afford it. Nobody would take the case. And when I actually, when I spoke to my divorce lawyer, luckily I was halfway through the divorce. Um, I asked her if she would take my case against the state police. And oh, wait, you, you were going to sue the state police? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a whole other thing we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. Okay. So why did you decide you wanted to sue the state police? They did nothing. They did nothing. Um, I had, like I said, I talked to his sergeant for a couple of hours. Um, he came over. No, he sent, they sent a um, canine corporal over because Jay had adopted this dog that had bit somebody and I'd never met before. And so I was not going to deal with this dog. So they said, oh, we'll send this canine corporal over to pick it up. Oh, when he came, I started to explain everything that had happened with the gun, pointing the gun and everything. And he said, has anybody talked to you about securing his weapons? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, I think we should do that. And he made a phone call. The next day, his, his sergeant came over to pick up the guns. That's when I couldn't find the AR-15. Well, this, you, you, you told these people in the police that this guy had been waving his guns mm -hmm. at you three different times. And they didn't say we're taking his guns away from him and we're demoting him or we're taking his guns away. No one said that? Not until that corporal heard my story. Um, when the sergeant came over to take his guns, I said, do you want to see the, the evidence that I have? Do you want to see the text message? Do you want to see? No, 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 no. I don't need to see any of that. Well, then nothing happened. I got out of the hospital on the 25th of June. Then um, I went to, I'll just say, another state police person's barbecue for the 4th of July. And I told him everything that was going on about the text and everything. I said, but they don't want to see it. You know, they don't. And he says, I'm telling you right now, off the record, send it to him. Send just text it to him. Send it to the sergeant. Yeah. Just text it to him. Just to the, to the, then, the, then he can't say he hasn't seen it. Right. So I, I texted that message to him, and within 15 minutes, Anderson County was calling me oh. to see if I wanted to file a report. Oh. But until he abs till I had proof that he had seen that text, mm -hmm. um, they weren't going to do anything. So the district attorney's office called you in 15 minutes? No, the Anderson County Sheriff. Sure. They yeah. called and asked if I wanted to uh, file a complaint or whatever okay. it is. And what did you say? Yes. And you, 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 so you complied and you cooperated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's when I told him as well that I couldn't find the AR-15. I was really concerned about it. I was afraid he had um, taken it to a friend's house and hidden it or whatever so he could use it when he came back. And um, Because this man was the proudest. Um, he was so concerned about his, his... He was concerned about his reputation above all else. Um, and when I dirtied his reputation um i was afraid he would get drunk and and do something about oh, it oh yeah well they're gonna be furious at, at, oh, yeah. at us they blame us yeah. right? oh yeah nothing's their fault it was all my fault um 
you know, even his parents, you know, it's all my fault. You know, I, I ruined his 27 year career as an officer. No, he ruined his 27 career. Well, is it and ruined? Is he still an officer? Oh, no, 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 no. They let him resign. Does um, he get a pension? Yes. If he had been fired, he would not get his pension. But because they let him resign, um, he was paid for months. He was on paid leave for months. Then finally, um, I think late August or September, maybe, maybe even after that. They put him on unpaid leave, but he was paid for several months after that. Did he that. get his guns back? No. Is mm -hmm. he allowed to have guns now? He Federally, he can never own a weapon uh, or and be near one. And why is that? One. Because of? Um, because of domestic violence. Does he have a charge? A, a conviction? Yes, he pled guilty. Oh, he pled guilty to domestic yep. violence. Yeah. Um, he can't have a gun for five years in Maine, um, but as long as I uh, keep renewing my PFA, as long as, as long as two years hasn't gone by, you can renew the PFA. Um, and I've heard, I have to find out that I can indefinitely, I can do it for indefinitely. And with the PFA, you can't have guns either? No, that's part of his PFA. He, he can't have guns. And so tell me about the court process then. What charges were filed and what was he convicted on? And what was the plea deal and all that? He was, I'm assuming there's a plea deal because there's always a plea deal. Yeah, yeah. He, he was charged with two counts of domestic violence assault and one, uh, one case of stalking uh, for pointing the gun at me. Um, Stalking was pointing the gun at you. Mm -hmm. And how about the text messages, like harassing or anything? Was that was that in no, charge? Yeah. Just uh, two, two domestic. Uh, because uh, the text message where he um, hit me in the head, and where he, then, where he said that he hit you in the head. The text message. Yeah, when yeah. he said he hit me in the head, and then the second one was um, on the video that I that I when I was saying stop hitting me, stop hitting me, and he says I can do whatever I want. So that was because of that he got. Was it misdemeanors? Were they all misdemeanors? Yeah. Yeah, but even with a loaded gun, wasn't a felon? Was not a felony? No, that charge that? was dropped actually. And and why? Um, well, the district attorney said, well, you know, they'd run concurrently anyway, and the one that we have the strongest position on is the text message. Okay, wait, I, I have a question for that. I go in the files and I look up these cases. Sometimes I see in the paper. I've yet to see where charges are consecutive. Why are they concurrently? Why are they not consecutively? I don't know. I, I don't know. They actually dropped those. Dry, don't they you dropped think that's one. true? If you get six yeah. months for something and then another year for something, it should be consecutive. It should be yeah. consecutively. They shouldn't yeah. put it in all together. Then it's like yeah. one charge. Yeah. It's yeah. never, it's never, it's never one after the other. It's always lumped together. And then what do you mean they, 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 they dropped the, he waved a gun at you, a loaded gun at you three times. So how is that not reflected in the, in the record? Speaking with, I had to speak with the DA several times. What did you think about the DA? She uh, pretty much was discouraging me from going to court. She said, if we go to court with these, we'll have to try all three. And if they all three can't be proven, then um, you may not get any kind of conviction at all. And why wouldn't they all be proven anyway? She said, you know, you know, you never know which way the jury's going to go. And, um, you know, he, he'll get away with it if we don't give him a plea deal. Well, you know, we could have a trial, but, you know, he, he, he's agreed to plead guilty. And, you know, I, I really don't know what a, what a jury would find. You know, it depends on who's on there and, you know, whether or not they think this is really violence. And um, Well, it couldn't have been worse than what happened. No, no. My, I mean, my son saw him point the gun at me. Oh, so um, he was going to be—he was a witness. Yeah. How did you well, feel about that? The normal, the 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 normal 
for the first offense is there they have to take 48 week or 42 week um, batterers intervention course and once they get two years probation but once they finish that batterers intervention course they can go back to court and have the charges dropped to um I can't remember. Well, but that's it's, a deferred disposition, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, right? I'll, yeah. When I'll plead guilty and then yeah. it ends up being dropped. Yeah, then they drop it. Did you hear that term, deferred disposition? Um, I don't remember. Because usually that's what it is. You plead guilty yeah. to something and then they drop it. And it's like yeah. you never pled guilty. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what they were going to do. And that's the one thing I would not agree to. Oh, good for you. I said, you know, the only thing I want is for this to stay on his record. Oh, good. But at the time, I didn't know that it was going to be a misdemeanor. In the state of Maine, the first case, uh, the first time you're charged with domestic violence is always a misdemeanor unless there's strangulation involved. And what do you think about that? That It's, it's a horrendous, outdated, um, I mean, domestic abuse, abuse wasn't even recognized till the 1970s. It was just, you know, tuning up your wife, you know. And I think Maine's laws, Maine's laws used to be stricter. Really? If, if you look in the record, and a lot of it's been cut back. Why? Who, um, Who did that? I, it it was a legislature thing. The thing the thing went through, and um, they used to have bigger fines. They used to um, yeah. There's never any fines. That's the other thing. And victim compensation. There's no money in there for anyone. They pay three quarters of medical bills when it should be hundred percent. Yeah. And there's they find these guys a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, hardly anything. Mine didn't get fined anything. He had to pay twenty dollars to the victim's compensation. Twenty. Now twenty. What, 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 why? Why twenty? It's who makes who sets this. I guess they said every person that's found guilty in the court in the state of Maine for anything, speeding, whatever, whatever, $20 of the money that they pay goes to this victim's compensation. 20, what do you think of the fact that it's $20? Um, it's ridiculous. If the state wants $20 of it, they should charge them 1000 and give the rest of the money to the victims. To the victims. Yeah, who's representing the victims here so that victims get $20? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah. What victim is on a panel that decides that? Yeah. It's a it's a horrendous. Um, they uh, there's 364 days um, jail time, but it's all suspended. Yeah. Um, in my case, I read this long, long victims impact. Um, it was very very in depth of everything that happened. The judge is like, thank you very much for reading this. Um, you know, Jay was a police officer, he should be held to a higher standard than, you know, the a normal person with a, that's not a police officer. Um, and I don't have to wait the 364 days, but I will. What? They said they are very hesitant to put a police officer in jail because they're afraid for his safety. So how did you feel about uh, all of that when the, when the judge said that to you, that they're not going to... I was absolutely crushed. I was crushed. What were, I you, think, what were you going into it? What did you think his sentence would be? I thought they'd put I thought they'd put him in jail. I thought he'd get I don't know even a week, you know. I thought he would be punished somehow. But this man, like I said, he had no bail. He was released on his own recognizance. He was never in handcuffs. He was never in a police car. And he didn't get anything for it. He has to go to domestic violence court once a week, um, I mean once a month, um, and show the receipts that he's gone to batter's intervention. That's it. To me, something this serious should be taken this seriously. And it's not taken this seriously. You know, it's not taken seriously at all. You well, broke the silence in a big way because most women do not call and talk to the newspapers about it. No. Did your first, that previous relationship have something to do with why you decided to really push on this one? Um, maybe. So did, in the previous one, did you know the name for it? Did you know that it was domestic abuse? I knew that, it, yeah, I knew that it was abuse. 
I was working actually with a domestic violence, uh, uh, like a task force thing. It was in England. And they like, I would go in and they would take pictures of my bruises and all this stuff. And they're like, you know, as soon as you're ready, as soon as you're ready to make a, a complaint, we'll swoop in. Um, I had just had, not too long before, had brain surgery, had a brain tumor. Um, he kicked me across him. He was six foot five martial artist, seven times world champion. And he kicked me across the room. I was laying on the floor. He picked his foot up and thought about it and then smashed, stomped my head. Um, but he took off. He took off. The police came, of course, they couldn't find him. I called 911. They couldn't, they couldn't find him because he'd taken off. He turned himself in several hours later and he had this big scratch across his face, one big scratch across his face. And he was released because it was his word against mine. And he said that you heard him, that was his story? And they never did anything with him? Mm -mm. No justice the first time and no justice this time. I moved back to the States. I had to get an ocean in between us. You know, I I moved back to the States and, um, you know, started going to therapy and... And, uh, but, you know, that, that was the reason, you know, because I felt so bad about myself, you know, nobody would ever want me. Um, and then this strong, you know, upright police officer, you know, can see black and white and what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, when this guy wanted me, I thought I'd hit the lottery. Somehow there's a vacuum in my mind Tell me how it felt when we were both here And how it felt to leave it all behind I took it for granted then that I knew your heart I didn't think you'd ever go away You're almost a stranger to me since we fell apart But I've got something that I need to say When are we gonna talk about it? Wanna talk about it? Or would you rather forget? I still wanna talk about it. Cause the ghost of us is haunting me. It never lets me rest. Rest. Thank you, Amy. 
and to open your eyes further as to how there is no accountability for domestic abusers in the main courts, look up the Cops and Courts section of your local newspaper. Domestic abuse cases make up a third or half of the criminal activity in our neighborhoods. Look at the sentences for domestic abusers and count how many times you see the word dismissed. Also look at how many times you see the word suspended, which means there was a plea deal with the perpetrator not even serving the meager 364 days in jail that is the maximum sentence for a first offense domestic violence case. I was editing this tape at home of my conversation with Amy while two ladies were cleaning my house, and one of them overhearing it told me that could be me talking. That is the point of Finding Our Voices, our nonprofit at findingourvoices.net, and this radio show, letting everyone know about the pattern of power and control and how these guys, and sometimes it is women, are all the same. They don't change. It only gets worse. You are not alone. If someone in your life is controlling you and making you afraid, say something. Visit findingourvoices.net to connect with other survivors from all over Maine and beyond and call your local domestic abuse agency hotline. In Maine, the central number of the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence is one 866 834 help. If you live in Hancock or Washington County, you are lucky because Next Step is the agency that serves that area and it is a fantastic resource with amazing advocates, one of whom, Missy Fairfield, helped me to get out. And I encourage anyone needing help to call them. The chief outreach of Finding Our Voices is huge banners with the faces of 35 named survivor warriors from all over Maine, age 18 to 81, on downtown business windows. Since we launched this project at the start of COVID, we have posted more than 1,600 of these banners in 40-plus towns. We started in my Midcoast, Maine community, and what got us touring around the state was a call last May from Lori Chase of Coastal Interiors in Ellsworth, telling me there were a lot of women-owned businesses in her town, and she wanted the banners there. We're bringing our banners back to Ellsworth this fall, and anyone who wants to help us do that or bring them to other towns around the state, please get in touch with me at hello at findingourvoices.net. Our audio engineer is Tammy Oropesa. The music on this show is by Jackie McLean Strack, my daughter, a.k.a. Roan Yellowthorn, on Blue Elan Records. You can learn more about her and Sean Strack, who make up this fabulous indie pop duo, by visiting roanyellowthorn.com. That's R-O-A-N-Y-E-L-L-O-W-T-H-O-R-N.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, love should feel good. <laughs>